Well, I'm excited to be getting into this message with you today. We're continuing in our series called The Code. When you open up your Bible in the New Testament, uh, you may not realize this, but a lot of what we call books of the New Testament are really letters. And they were letters written, and, and the truths and the doctrines and the scriptures there contained within these letters that were written to Christians. And, and what I want you to do, I want you to watch with me, is we're going to walk through the beginning, opening greeting of several books of the New Testament. And I want you to see if you can capture the commonality here. The, those, those traits that are similar in letter after letter after letter. So let's look at a few. First of all, let's look at the church up in Rome. And when uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, here's what we read. Read this. To, next word, all who are in where? Rome. And they are what? Loved by God. And they are called as saints. Do you get this? Look, to all, shout everybody, who is living in Rome, who is loved by God. They are called as, there's this awesome word right here. Look at your neighbor right now and tell them, you didn't even have to wait for sainthood. Right? There was no delegation. Here's, this, this, is, this is all who are loving God and loved by God living in this city of Rome. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What about those Christians that live down in Corinth? Not living in Rome, they live in another city, a city called Corinth. Let's look at how that letter begins. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the, next word, church of who? Of God, the church of God, where? At Corinth, to those, what's this next word? Sanctified, how? How are they sanctified? In Christ Jesus, not sanctified by their works, sanctified by grace, redeemed by grace, sanctified. How do we become sanctified? That just means more holy, more pure, not by our goodness, but by our faith in Christ. Christ sanctifies us, and we are called, if we're sanctified in Christ, if we're saved, if we've been redeemed by Christ, we are called, here's that next word again, say it, saints. Now, these are not in Rome. These are the ones down in Corinth. And with all, look, watch this. He's not done there. And with, next word, say it. All of those in where? Every place who do what? Call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Watch this, watch this. Watch how deep this is. Paul says this, man. You want to talk about breaking beyond div dividing lines that Christians like to divide themselves up. This tribe, that tribe, this tribe, that tribe. Watch this. And in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, read the next line, ready to go, both their Lord and... So he's saying, you guys are as much a part of the family of God down here in Corinth as that group is up there in Rome. But he's not done. Let's, let's go on and look at some more letters of the New Testament. Look at the one in Philippi here. Two, next word, say it. All the who... Saints. Now we know who the saints are, right? These are the ones who've been redeemed, who are sanctified, who are loved by God, who've called on the name of Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are living where? In Philippi. And I love this one. This one's so good. Including, watch this, the overseers and deacons. I don't know what's going on in the church at Philippi. But somewhere, someone decided it was really important for them to distinguish that even the preachers and the deacons were included in the family of God there. Isn't that awesome? 
<laughs> including the overseers. Like, okay, was that ever in question? What's going on in Philippi? Let's, let's move on. Let's look at another one here. Look at the church down in Colossus. Ready? Let's read. To the who? Saints who are in who? Christ. Where are they? At Colossae, who are faithful, watch this, brothers and sisters. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Let me give you one more. You ready? Let's do one more. Look at Ephesians, this letter to Ephesians. Let's all read it out loud together. Ready? To the faithful who? Saints. How are we saints? We're saints in Christ Jesus. Where are they? At Ephesus. Why, why do we do all this? What, what's, what's the point here? The point is simply this. The way we are saved and sanctified is by calling on the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not a Baptist God, a Methodist God, a Catholic God, a Lutheran God. All these man-made divisions that we like to divide up the tribes. Here's what I want you to see. When you read the New Testament, you're reading these letters that were written to men and women who have called on the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. He has loved them. He has redeemed them. And these are letters written to Christians to be read to them when they gather together in their local cities. This is a picture of local church. Where Christians gather together in these local communities, and when the scriptures were read, they were all gathered together, and these letters would have been read out to the gathering of disciples in these local cities. That's what a picture of what we are doing here this morning is, as we've gathered this morning here on this campus and online, and together we are sharing the word of God together. There's something beautiful happening here. When you go to the book of uh, Acts, Acts, and here's how you need to read the book of Acts. Acts is a 30-year historical record of the first church. So when you read the book of Acts, you need to know you're covering 30 years of time. It's a big picture view of the church in action. And so you read this passage, Acts chapter 4. And you see this big picture. Look on your message notes now at this passage we gave you. Here's what it says. Now the next two words, the entire group, notice the plurality here, we're talking about everyone, the entire group of those who did what? Believed, believed in who? Jesus Christ. They were, watch this, here's so key, underline this, they were one heart and one mind and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Instead they had everything, what's this next word? In common, and I want you to circle the word common there, and I'm going to explain to you in Greek, and we're going to come back to it in a moment. And watch this, watch this. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was not any needy person among them, because those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds as of what was sold. Now, you may be reading that and go, okay, what does that mean? Is that socialism? No. This is not promoting socialism. It's not that everybody who has should sell in order for those who have not. What we're seeing here is this one key word in the Greek, and it's the reason I had you to circle the word common. They had all things in common. In the Greek, it's this word, koinonia. 
And here's what koinonia means, if you'll write it down. It means to share or to hold all things in common. And, and when you read this passage, look at it. It's all of the saints, all of those who believed in the Lord Jesus, they gathered together. And when they gathered together, the many, the multitude had one heart. They had one mind. And what were they doing? Why were they selling their possessions? What were they doing? They were taking care of one another. That's what this beautiful word called koinonia means. It's a community living out biblical principles together, loving God, believing in Jesus, and then loving and caring for one another. And together, they're making impact for Christ. Look at what the lost community said about this early church. When they were loving God and they were loving each other, sounds like last week's sermon, by the way, love matters, right? When they were loving God and loving one another, notice what the verse says happened in the community. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. The community was being influenced and believing in the power of the gospel because of how they saw the people gathering, loving God and loving each other. There's something powerful about this spirit of koinonia. And here's what you have to understand. You and I have to be together to experience koinonia. You can't do this on your own. In fact, when you read the New Testament, you will never read where Christians lived out their faith alone. It's always inside a biblical community. This word koinonia, if you want to do a word study through the New Testament, here's what you will find 12 times. This word is interpreted fellowship. They fellowshiped together. Three times it meant they were sharing together. They were sharing their life together. Two times it means they were participating. There was something they were all involved in together. Two times it meant they were contributing. Everyone was sacrificially giving. Everyone was helping take up the needs of those around them. Now look up here. Let me explain something to you. The most important relationship in your life is the relationship between you and God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. There is no other relationship that should trump that one. That is the most important relationship in your life. It is what our church is all about. If you're not sure that you have a relationship with God, if you don't have peace with that relationship with God, it is our heart's desire that today, before you leave here, you allow someone to pray with you or talk with you. If you're watching online, talk to one of our online pastors right now in the comments and have a discussion. It is the most important relationship. If you leave earth without a relationship with God, you've missed it all. The second most important relationship in your life is that with your family. For those of you married, it would be your spouse, and then it would be your children and your grandchildren. My wife knows and understands she is not first place in my life. She knows and understands that Jesus Christ is first place in my life. And what my wife knows is, is that if I love Jesus first, I will love her best. My children know if Jesus is first, I will love them the best way I, Chris Vault, could ever love my children or my grandchildren. 
When you love God first, he gives you the ability that you don't even have in your natural self. He gives you an anointing and an ability to love others with the love you have received. And the more you fall in the depth of God's love, the more deeper you can love the people around you. So your second great relationship is that with your family. The third great relationship you need in your life is then with a spiritual family like this, a community. So our fifth code, we're in this series called The Code, and we're looking at 10 biblical principles that ought to guide my life, your life, and the life of our church. Number five is this. Write this down. Community matters. And say this line with me. Ready to go. We do life together. And that is important, that we're doing life together, like you see here in the New Testament churches. You know, you would think in our world today, where we've got so much social media, we've got phones strapped to our bodies, we can't go nowhere without a phone. Come on, somebody. We're on Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram. We can video chat. We can live text. We can be a whole... uh, in touch with anybody we want to around the world. And you would think with all this connection, we would be connected. Yet here's the truth, and we know it's a pandemic right now in America, more than 300 million people in this country, and many of them are saturated with loneliness. Anxiety is an all-time high. And we ask the question, how can we be so connected and yet be so lonely? How can we be connected and have so much anxiety? And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the Bible has a solution to the anxiety and the loneliness of our world today. And it is putting down the phone and living in true biblical community with other brothers and sisters in the faith. It's coming together and living in this koinonia that the Bible teaches. And here's, but here's, here's where it gets hard, all right? This is where it gets tough. Y'all ready? Swallow. Everybody just swallow so you can get this down a little easier. You ready? Write this down. Living in true biblical community takes intentionality. It doesn't come natural. It doesn't come easy. You see, look at CPC. We're a very large church, especially for Southeast Missouri. We're a large church, and here's what, here's, here's what I know. I know it is easy to slip in a large church and get lost in the crowd. You can come here, never meet a soul, and be in a room with a 1,000 people at the same time. You can attend this church and leave this church and tell everybody in the community, I went to that church and never got connected. There ain't no connection point. Because connecting and living in community takes intentionality. We can have the best programs in the world, but if you don't take a step of faith, because here's what we all know, and I know this too, because your pastor was the most introverted person you had ever met. I promise you, there's nobody in this room that was probably worse than I was. And we, we would have, we'd have to, we'd have had to debate this thing if you'd known me as a teenager. I tell these stories, people think I'm lying all the time. It's the gospel truth when I tell you my wife asked me out on the first date. She ordered my food at McDonald's. She taught me how to drive. When God called me to preach, I still wasn't ordering my own food. I looked at God like, you're out of your mind, God. You picked the wrong one. You met my cousin over there. You met my friend over there. You picked the wrong dude to preach. And at some point, you have to be willing 
to step out in faith, risk failure, risk hurt, and trust another human being, and step out and build a relationship. It's not easy. But how many know nothing worth having is easy? Come on, somebody. And it takes intentionality to build this relationship. Some people in our country have segregated God to 60 minutes once a week. Look up here. I need to tell you, you will never enjoy the koinonia that God wants you to experience. Partnership, community, love on 60 minutes a week. You got to go beyond. You actually got to get involved with the community. People say, I don't get connected there. I say, are you serving? Nope. Are you in a small group? Nope. Have you talked to anybody in the cafe? Have you bought anybody else a cup of coffee? Nope. Like, what in the world do you want me to do for you? I can't do it for you, right? I mean, we got, you, you got somewhere you got to take a step. Intentionality. But now there are some things that you and I need to understand once we take a step and we put ourselves on the line and we start building relationships with one another. We can start developing this koinonia and you start studying the Bible and you see just how powerful it is when we live together in our faith. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to give you three real quickly out of the book of Ephesians. Because when Paul wrote this letter to Ephesus, remember, he's writing to the faithful Christians in Ephesus, and here's some things he says, and we're going to go pretty quick here, so write these down. The first time he says this, here's the beauty of us living out our faith together. When we're together, we proclaim the good news of Jesus together. We proclaim the good news of Jesus together. Remember, that's the most important relationship anyone can have. And when you and I come together, we give witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And the world looking at us, and when we invite people into this fellowship, we can tell them, look at what God has done. Every once in a while, somebody will say to me, Pastor, I'm ashamed for people to see me at church because of my past. Don't be ashamed of your past. Use your past as a part of your testimony. Stand up and own it. Yes, that's who I was. Look at how good God is. This is what Jesus has done for me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. I love what Paul says here, Ephesians 3.8. The grace was given to me, the least of all the saints. Stop there for a moment. Who would ever thought the Apostle Paul who's writing most of the New Testament would still feel like he's the worst of all Christians? He never got over being saved. Let me say this to our congregation. Don't ever get over the grace of God that saved you. Use it to motivate you. He says, I'm here to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Together we ought to, out of our salvation, preach to others about the God who saves. And do it without judgment and do it in love. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. Somebody shout from us. Through us, God is making his appeal. Be reconciled to God. This is our purpose, congregation, when we come together. is to proclaim the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. And let them see the God who saved us is the God who can save them. Number two, we grow in God's love together. 
Ephesians 3, 17 says, And Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and what is the width and what is the height and what is the depth of God's love. That we may be able to know God, Christ's love and surpasses knowledge so we may be filled with the fullness of God. Listen, listen, listen. If we together are going to experience the fullness of God's love together, it's going to take more than just 60 minutes a week. It's going to require us living life together. And together building each other up and encouraging one another and loving on one another. And together we're experiencing the love of God together. Number three, we are equipped to serve together. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. What has God done with the local church? Paul says, he has given some, not all, but some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, teachers. Why does God give us preachers? Why does God give us ministry leaders? Why does God call people into vocational ministry? Here's the answer. You ready? Let's read it. Underline it. Let's go. To equip who? The saints. Is the saints the selective board over here that the church decided to reach sainthood? No. You remember how we went through the greetings of all those letters? Everyone who called on the name of the Lord is called a saint in God's church. So who is to be equipped? All the saints are equipped to do what? The work of the ministry. To build up the body of Christ. It's not 15 staff members taking care of more than 2,000 people here on campus, 3,000 people watching online. No, 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 no. It's all of us working together, doing the work of the kingdom, not just on Sundays, but on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays too. Living out our faith wherever we are in a community. We're building up the body of Christ. We're proclaiming the gospel. We're growing in love together. And together when we come in here, we sit under the teaching and preaching of the word. We study in our groups and we grow up in our faith so we can go serve more people. This is the body at work. This is the church. This is koinonia. Ann Ortland in her book, uh, Up With Worship, made this statement. It's pretty powerful. She says, for many in the church, they're like a bag of marbles. Now, I asked the first service, I only got three hands lifted up. How many know what a bag of marbles looks like, sounds like? Have you ever played with marbles? Got more good people in this service. More experienced people. All right, you know, there's like little glass balls, right? You put them in a bag. If you bang them together, they make a lot of noise. Here's the thing. You lay them all back out, and they, they look just as clean and shiny. They ain't scratched. They're not together. They're just individual balls. But when you put them together, they make a lot of noise. Listen, we don't need no church. It just makes a bunch of noise. Come on now. She said, instead, we need to be like a bag of grapes. You take a bag of grapes, and you smash it together. What happens? They don't make a lot of noise. <laughs> they mesh together. And what comes out of grapes when you smash them together? The juice that makes the sweet taste in wine. You know what God wants? Us to live in koinonia together and live in community? Look at me. You're not meant to live out your faith by yourself. We need each other. And we don't need to just be like, oh yeah, I saw you Sunday. No, no, no. It's like living life together until we are meshed together. 
And out of that, the beautiful work of the Holy Spirit will flow from us. And that's what the world needs to see right now. Amen? So if you take a study of the New Testament and you say, How, what does koinonia look like in the New Testament? I'm going to put a slide on the screen. You can take a snapshot. You're not going to have time to write all this down. It's that exhaustive. This is just a quick little survey of the New Testament and how we are to serve one another and build each other up. Just look at this. We're to love one another, honor one another, show hospitality to one another, live in fellowship with one another. We're to agree with one another, live in harmony with one another. That means if you get out of harmony with someone, you go to them, you reconcile. We work at this. Remember, relationships take work. And our goal is always to be at peace with one another, to be kind to one another, to forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens, to comfort one another, to care for one another, to confess our sins to one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, and teach and admonish one another. We're to stir one another up to love and do good works. We're to serve one another and speak the truth to one another, and we're not to provoke or envy one another. And this is what koinonia looks like, and this takes intentionality, and this is beautiful in the sight of the Lord. When you and I live out our faith together, something awesome happens. Remember the passage we read out of, out of Acts chapter 4 at the top of your message notes? What happened to the unbelieving community when they watched the New Testament church living out community together in Koinonia? They saw the testimony of Jesus at work. That's what I want. I want Southeast Missouri to look at you all and me and say, man, those folks, they let anybody in that church. Have you noticed that? Look at your neighbor and tell him he's talking about you. They let anybody up in that church. But they all got this same testimony. Jesus saved me by his grace. He's turned my life around. He's made me a better person. We live in life together. You got to do more than Sunday mornings alone for that. You're going to have to step out, as I said, of your comfort zone and actually build relationships, maybe join a serve team. Let me say this real quickly. Hundreds of you need to join a small group. Hundreds. Hundreds. When you look at how large our church is and how many people attend groups, we're hundreds behind. And part of that is our fault. We grew so fast that we weren't able to train and reproduce small group leaders and host homes fast enough. So you're hearing my heart this morning as I'm sharing this with you. I'm so convicted about us living in community together that we're totally revamping how we do small groups. Over the next couple of months, you're gonna hear me talk a lot about groups. You're gonna hear me say, I need hundreds of you to join a small group by the first of the year. That's my goal. I want you living in community with other believers. I don't even have enough space for all everybody, if everybody wanted to join a group today, but I want to by the first of the year. I, I need dozens of you, shout dozens. I need dozens of you who'd be willing to open your house or your business to host a small group. I need dozens more of you to be willing to be trained on how to lead a small group. 
And you're going to hear more about this in the fall as we're revamping. And, and in fact, I'm even considering leading a small group myself just for a short amount of time that if you would be willing to learn how to lead a small group, I'll teach you how to lead a small group. And by the first of the year, I want to be able to launch dozens of new groups. And it's not because I need numbers for groups. I don't care nothing about that stuff. I don't go around to conferences saying, you know how many people we got in small groups? I don't care about that. You know what I care about? I care about people living out their faith together in community. And groups is just a great place for you to get to know 12 or 15 other people. They should be the first ones calling you when you're sick, checking on you when you miss church, loving on each other, counseling each other, praying for each other. Because let's just be honest, church our size, 15 staff members, something can happen. We don't even know it, right? Then people say, well, they didn't even check on me. That's the beauty of small groups. We all do this together. Somebody shout that key word there. Together. Here's what I know. Here's your big takeaway. Let's write this down. The big takeaway this morning is simply this. Strong community relies on disciples partnering with one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is so powerful. This is such a great verse. Paul writes this, therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, he even calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. A prisoner of the Lord, here's what I do. I urge you, he's talking to the church, so this is your heart, this is your pastor's heart today too. I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. What is the calling that you all have received? Some of you are called individually in ministry, teaching, hospitality, greeting. You have your own gifts and talents. I get that. But there's one general calling we're all called to together if we're in the family of faith. What is it? We're called as saints. We're called as brothers and sisters of the family of God, children of God, the church. We're the body of Christ. Watch this. I urge you to live a life worthy of your call. Of what? Of the calling of being a follower of Jesus. How do we do that, Paul? Here's what he says. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love and making every effort to keep the unity of the peace through the spirit of the bond of peace. How do we do that? We do that together, living our lives together. We're, we're, we're protecting the unity of the body. We're bearing with one another in love. We're gentle. We're humble. We're patient. And here's what I love. Here's what I love. Here's what I love. Paul just says, hey, y'all may know I've wrote some letters up there to Colossus, and I've wrote some letters to Philippi, and I've wrote some letters over there to Rome. But can, can, just so y'all don't try to divide the body of Christ up into little tribes, I need you to know something. You ready for this? Look at it. There's one body, and there's one spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in all. Hallelujah. Thank God for the body of Christ. Amen? Living together in community. 